Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Michael Wald and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Now, today's show is an unexpected topic. I've decided to put off the topic that I did want to present with you today, which had to do with hormones, because of an article written by Liz Zabo in the New York Times entitled, Older Americans Are Hooked on Vitamins. And I must tell you, this is not a very flattering article around the use of supplements. In fact, if you read it carefully... It basically is saying that you and I are idiots, (laughs) that we do not have brains to consider evidence to make daily choices about our health, which could include the use of nutritional supplements for both the prevention of disease, delay of disease, and treatment and cure of disease. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through this article and I'm going to address most every point given what our time allows today. For those of you new to the show, once again, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. I am Supervisor of Nutrition at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco, located an hour north of New York City. I would love to hear your comments on this topic. Please email them to me at info at blooddetective.com and feel free to post them up on my blog at the website at www.integratednutritionny.com. If you want to speak with me personally about this, give me a call at 914-552-1442. So let's read just a little bit of the opening part of this article entitled, Older Americans Are Hooked on Vitamins. And I'm quoting here, the enthusiasm does tend to outpace the evidence, is what Dr. Joanne Manson, Chief of Preventative Medicine at Boston's Brigham and Women's Hospital said. The article goes on to say there's no conclusive evidence that dietary supplements prevent chronic disease in the average American. And while a handful of vitamins and mineral studies have had positive results, those results haven't been strong enough to recommend supplements to the general American public. Now, let's look at this. First of all, she says the enthusiasm tends to outpace the evidence. Well, that is true. Sometimes both in natural medicine and regular medicine, something comes out, for example, like vitamin E is useless, and the medical profession will jump all over that without looking at the preponderance of evidence that says that vitamin E is preventative for cardiovascular disease. My point here is that mistakes are probably made on both ends, both in the natural health industry and the regular medical profession, uh, where, again, exciting articles come out and they get in the news and then people start using things. I would suggest that people talk with their healthcare providers about the validity of some evidence. So there is some validity there. And then she says, there's no conclusive evidence that dietary supplements prevent chronic disease in the average American. Well, conclusive is also a term that is a bit dangerous because there is no conclusive evidence of virtually anything, certainly the use of supplements or the use of medications for any condition. Conclusive implies that there is definitive evidence that means 100% of the time what you're talking about works. That does not exist for practically anything. Next, 
She also says here that there's not enough evidence to recommend supplements to the general American public. Well, the general American public is generalized. It is an average. Is there evidence to recommend specific supplements to specific individuals? Absolutely. If one were to go to one of the two largest databases of medical and nutritional research, namely the Cochrane database and publishmedicalarticles.com, you will find not hundreds, not thousands, not tens of thousands, but you will find millions of articles, many of them positively supporting the use of nutrition for specific conditions, and there and there therefore healthcare providers can use their clinical judgment to apply that knowledge to specific individuals. The article says, the National Institutes of Health has spent more than $2.4 billion since 1999 studying vitamins and minerals. Yet for all of the research we've done, we don't have much to show for it, Dr. Barnett Kramer, Director of Cancer Profession at the National Cancer Institute says. Well, this is just an outright lie. I'm looking at a page of publishedmedicalarticles.com and it talk about it talks about the use of various phytochemicals for inhibiting cancer formation and also treating cancer. In other words, killing cancer cells. So here's one that talks about the anti-ulcer properties of fruits and vegetables. I know that's not cancer, but here's another one on the anti-proliferative effects on breast cancer of different seed extracts. Here's another article that reviews the protective effects, what they call the chemoprotective effects of phytochemicals. Those are the plant elements on colorectal cancer. Yet another article I'm looking at, which talks about the natural anti-inflammatory effects of various natural compounds, which are fundamental for causing cancer. And I'll go on. Yet another article talking about how certain Ayurvedic Plants have radioprotective effects, which means they help to mitigate or lessen the effects on the body of radiation. Here's a positive study that talks about milk thistle or silymarin and how it is protective in hepatocellular carcinoma or liver cancer. Here's another that says that high doses of ascorbic acid, that's vitamin C, induces cell death in cancer cells. I'm looking at approximately 33 studies in front of me on the benefits of curcumin for modifying cancer activity, for killing cancer cells, for reducing inflammation, and the studies go on and on and on. The New York Times article goes on to say, a big part of the problem, Dr. Kramer says, could be that much nutrition research has been based on faulty assumptions, including the notion that people need more vitamins and minerals than a typical diet provides, that megadoses are always safe, and that scientists can boil down the benefits of vegetables like broccoli into a daily pill. Well, all of that is true in this sense. Number one, are there faulty assumptions? Well, this doctor is claiming that those who want to study research initially are saying, well, hmm, maybe I can take nutrients from foods and apply those in concentrated forms to disease. That's a faulty assumption. That is not a faulty assumption. In fact, is it a faulty assumption that some of those ingredients and herbs could be made into medications? Well, of course not. If we consider that a faulty assumption, 80% of our medications would not exist because they're derived from plant-based products. So there's no faulty assumption that one could take and extract 
active compounds and natural substances and give them in addition to the diet. So let's continue. It also says that right here that people need more, that's a faulty assumption that people need more nutrition than what their typical diet provides. This doctor, Dr. Kramer, clearly believes that there is something called the balanced diet. The typical American diet is a SAD diet, S-A-D, SAD for a reason. It's causing more disease. It's too high in animal products. It's too high in pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. It's too high in saturated fat and dairy. It is too low in fiber. It is too high in refined and processed foods. It is too low in omega-3s. It is too high in omega-6. People have poor daily habits of living. The, our diets, not our diets, people who listen to this radio show are pretty smart, but this doctor thinks that somehow the average American eats well. Well, they do not eat well. Study after study shows that. So Dr. Kramer goes on to say the megadose and that megadoses are always safe. Well, I'm a holistic practitioner that has been practicing for nearly 28 years, and I never said that megadoses are always safe. These sorts of statements are manipulative statements so that individuals who might have taken supplements, which are most people, would read this article and say, oh my goodness, I can't evaluate this. I'm too stupid. I don't know anything. I need to listen to this Dr. Kramer. Megadosis implies high dose. If someone has cancer, someone has a chronic condition like arthritis, autoimmune disease, diabetes, for example, they may need mega doses. They may need higher doses than one could get in foods. We even know this in the hospital setting. Vitamin C, B vitamins, all of these things, magnesium, calcium, they're used routinely in hospitals at doses that foods cannot provide. And in fact, mega doses of nutrients, of various nutrients, are proven to have all sorts of health benefits beyond what our diets could ever hope to provide. I'm on the National Library of Medicine right now, and it talks about how one could take high doses of folic acid, which would lower homocysteine. That does, in fact, lower disease risk, including heart disease. That there is a chemotherapy drug called methotrexate, which is known to cause neurotoxicity, toxicity of the nerves, which can be explained entirely by the individual getting that drug not having enough of an active form of folic acid known as folinic acid. You can eat all the foliage you want. You'll never get enough folic acid to offset neurotoxicity. Even juicing won't do it. You need to take pills of that stuff. Of course, I can go on with the benefits of mega doses of vitamin C and other nutrients, but let's get real for a second. If you overdose on vitamin A and vitamin D, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So, of course, mega doses can be a problem. Are they always a problem? No. I like, the, I like to use the term orthomolecular dose, which means a mega dose that is appropriate for a particular person for a particular condition. Another statement is as follows. Vitamin-rich foods can cure disease related to vitamin deficiency. That sounds good. Oranges and limes were famously shown to prevent scurvy, which is a vitamin C deficiency disease, in vitamin-deprived 18th century sailors. And research has long shown that populations that eat a lot of fruits and vegetables tend to be healthier than others. But when researchers tried to deliver the key nutrients of a healthy diet in a capsule, Dr. Kramer said, 
Those efforts always nearly failed. It's possible that chemicals in the fruits and vegetables on your plate work together in ways that scientists don't fully understand and which can't be replicated in a tablet. Okay, number one. Yes, in the 18th century, it was found that when sailors went out for long periods of time and they did not have fruit, they would get this mysterious disease, scurvy, and it was found out if they ate their lemons, that it would cure it miraculously. So they're claiming here, Dr. Kramer is saying, well, listen, I tried giving people with scurvy vitamin C and, it, and it, it didn't work most of the time. So they go on to say, well, maybe there are these miraculous chemicals in fruits and vegetables that we don't really understand that can help. Well, that's the assumption that natural healthcare providers go on, that there are elements naturally found in fruits and vegetables that do things that maybe the single ingredient, like only vitamin C, can't do. So sometimes, folks, we want to take vitamin C alone or vitamin E alone or folic acid alone or maybe resveratrol alone. And other times, instead of just resveratrol, we might want to take a superfood of plant dehydrated products. Instead of vitamin E in one form, we might want to take all of the natural tocopherols or forms of vitamin E together. So the point here is they make the point that there's something miraculous in foods, but they're implying that you couldn't take those foods and create superfoods or tablets with all of the elements in the foods. That's simply not true because we do it and many of us take those products right now. It's as if these doctors that have written this article have never walked into a health food store, have never read articles on the science behind nutrition. Because if they had walked into health food stores and read the science, they likely would be taking these supplements themselves, which I suspect in private they probably do. Here's another crazy statement. <laughs> More important, perhaps, is that most Americans get plenty of the essentials anyway. Although the Western diet has a lot of problems, too much sodium, sugar, saturated fat, and calories in general, it's not short on vitamins, says Alice Lichtenstein, uh, a professor at the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts University. Well, I am frankly very embarrassed for this uh, person because we know, yes, that the diet is not so great, but it's not short on vitamins? Where is the proof of that? That is what I would call, in their terms, a faulty assumption. The diets of Americans are terrible. Disease incidence is increasing. And even if on some planet Earth there was a perfect diet, maybe Earth 2, you know, when things are done all correctly, well, if we have stress in our lives and we're exposed to radiation every day and various toxins and we don't sleep as well as we should and all these different factors, we do need greater amounts of nutrients than even the best diet, even if we can show that the best diet gave us all of the nutrition that we needed. That does not rule out that we might need more nutrition. Look, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 18 years old. I am now 52 years old with no limitations. Now, I never took any medications, but I did take mega doses of nutrients, high doses of DHA from fish oil. I took high doses of folic acid because folic acid makes myelin the covering of the nervous system. And by the way, DHA is the most abundant phospholipid or healthy anti-inflammatory fat in the brain. I could not eat enough fish. I could not eat enough plant products to get the active form of folic acid. You see, and I can go on with examples. So even an ideal diet is often not enough if disease is present or if one wants to prevent disease. 
Besides, we're not at the epitome of science that one could claim, okay, so you have all the nutrients you need because 10 years from now or, or two weeks from now, someone will say, well, guess what? We've just learned that we need more. That's why I have a blood detective approach for things. I look at a person's blood. I look at their health history. I look at other chemistries. I consider the medical and nutrition literature and I say, well, how much does this person need? I think they might need very, very high normal levels of vitamin D at 90, not just 30. I think that this individual might need uh, 8,000 milligrams of curcumin with black seeds, perilia seeds, and not 500 milligrams because of their health issues. So this concept that we can eat everything and, and everything will be okay is simply ignorant. All right, next statement. Here we go again. And although that there are, there are more than 90,000 dietary supplements from which to choose, federal health agencies and advisors still recommend that Americans meet their nutritional needs with food, especially fruits and vegetables. Well, that would be wonderful, but like I said, not always possible. Also, the article goes on to say, American food tends to be highly fortified with vitamin D in milk, iodine in salt, B vitamins in flour, even calcium in some brands of orange juice. Without realizing it, someone who eats a typical lunch uh, or breakfast is essentially eating a multivitamin, says Catherine Price, a journalist and author of Vitamin Mania, how vitamins revolutionize the way we think about foods. So did I read something wrong here? Are they bragging about the fact that the American diet is fortified with vitamins. So we've put vitamins in the foods. Why? Because they don't have enough vitamins in them. So this person and this New York Times article is backtracking without even realizing it. They're saying we don't need added vitamins to the foods, but then they've said, well, you know, we have fortified our foods with vitamins. So when you're taking your foods, you're actually taking a multivitamin. So do we see the ridiculousness and uh, just the stupidity regarding that statement? And besides, they did give examples of vitamin D and B vitamins, for example, and, and calcium and other uh, uh, vitamins put in foods, but they didn't give every single nutrient you might find in a multivitamin, but they said you're essentially eating a multivitamin, meaning they're trying to say to you, hey, you don't need extra multivitamins because we've put the multivitamins in your food because your, your foods don't have enough vitamins. See this ridiculous statement? Here's another one. Okay, they say here that, what makes studying vitamins even more complicated, Ms. Price said, is that research have had trouble finding a true control group with no exposure to supplemental vitamins. If everyone in a study is consuming fortified food, vitamins may appear less effective. Not only would vitamins appear less effective, this person has already just said that eating foods is essentially like taking a vitamin. So she is right about one thing. There is no control group. So if there are studies out there that this article is claiming show that vitamins are harmful, well, they, they can't be valid because there's no control group. And in science, we need a control group. Let's move on. The body naturally regulates the levels of many nutrients, such as vitamin C and B vitamins, Dr. Kramer said, by excreting what it doesn't need in the urine. He added, it's hard to avoid getting the full range of vitamins. 
wait a second. So Dr. Kramer is saying, hey, we can't get all the full range of vitamins. It's very, very difficult. But he seems to be suggesting that it's safe because if you take too many of these vitamins, and he didn't say they were water-soluble, but they are. The water-soluble nutrients are the ones lost in the urine if you take too much. It's the fat-soluble nutrients that if you take too much, store in the body and can create problems. But basically, they're saying here that it's not so bad. So the article continues to say, quote, not all experts agree. Dr. Walter Willett, a professor at Harvard School of Public Health, says it's reasonable to take a multivitamin. It's reasonable to take a daily multivitamin for insurance. So he says that clinical trials underestimate supplements' true benefits because they aren't long enough, meaning the studies aren't long enough. They often last five to 10 years. It could take decades to notice a lower rate of cancer or heart disease in vitamin takers, he said. Well, that's true. Of course, we would like longer and longer studies, but we have what we have. We use animals that live not as long so that we can study the effects over multiple generations, and then we extrapolate a lot of that information to humans. Life is not perfect, but there is enough safety regarding vitamins to draw some conclusions. And those conclusions have resulted in many positive studies, hundreds, thousands of positive studies showing that added nutrients in various disease states absolutely outweigh the diet. So sure, get your balanced diet, whatever the heck that is, and take your supplements on top of that based on your lab work, not just based on the levels of vitamins, but the use of vitamins. Know your blood pH. You need functional testing done. You need a healthcare practitioner that understands things. So for those of you who are just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and I am having a lot of fun here dismantling a New York Times article that just came out on April 3rd, 2018, entitled, Older Americans Are Hooked on Vitamins. So we've got some experts in the articles claiming that vitamins are good for you and can hurt you or probably won't hurt you, and others saying that they will. If you want to reach me with comments, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. You can call me at 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. You can email me at info at blooddetective.com. And this radio show will be posted at www.integratednutritionny.com. And, of course, in the archives at uh, PRN FM Radio. You know, I want to bounce back to the beginning of this article Because it starts off with the following. Here it is. When she was a young physician, Dr. Martha Gulati noticed that many of her mentors were prescribing vitamin E and folic acid to patients. Preliminary studies in the 1990s had linked both supplements to lower risk of heart disease. She urged her father to pop the pills as well. Dad, you should be on those vitamins because every cardiologist is taking them and putting their patients on them, recalled Dr. Galati, now chief of cardiology for the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Phoenix. But just a few years later, she found herself reversing course after rigorous studies and trials found neither vitamin E nor folic acid supplements did anything to protect the heart. Even worse, studies linked high doses of vitamin E to higher risk of heart failure, prostate cancer, and death from any cause. Dr. Gulati told her father he might want to stop taking those vitamins. More than half of Americans take vitamin supplements, including 68% of those age 65 and older. That's according to a 2013 Gallup poll. Okay, so Dr. Martha Gulati, 
how dare you put your poor old dad on these supplements without looking at the research yourself? So this is pretty typical of lots of doctors. Let's assume for a moment there were negative studies and maybe Dr. Gulati was wrong. And, but when she heard about this evidence, what did she do? She just started taking the vitamin E and folic acid herself and she went even further. She recommended it to her father and I can only guess that she probably recommended some of these supplements to her patients. Now, here's what's supposed to happen. A study comes out in a medical journal. Maybe it's the New England Journal of Medical uh, Medicine. Maybe it's the annual, uh, Annals of Internal Medicine or whatever the peer-reviewed uh, periodical is or the trade journal. So the doctor opens up the trade journal, journal either, either online or in, in a paper form and takes a look at the study and evaluates it and says, well, do the statistics here, is, uh, do they suggest that this is useful, this information? Was this study designed properly? Is it representative for the population of patients I would provide this to? So are we to believe that this doctor looked at the article, got super excited without actually looking at the design of the article and the appropriateness of the article and decided to just recommend it? Well, if that's true, has she been doing that with all of her drugs that she's been scribing to, to her poor dad, possibly herself and to her patients? Well, I would say sure, because if that's the level of evaluation of this particular physician, then uh, I'm very scared for the uh, University of Arizona College of Medicine. Now, I'm not trying to be funny because this is not funny. When studies come out, some are negative, folks. Some do not show benefits. Some might even show harm. And yes, there are negative studies for vitamin E and folic acid in heart disease. But there are also positive studies. It is the job. It's No, it's the obligation of a practitioner to look at the preponderance of evidence before choosing a therapy for a patient. Is the therapy safe relative to other alternatives. And then the information must be applied to that individual's circumstance. Remember, studies, by definition, are of average individuals. Have you ever seen the average 70-kilogram man or average 60-kilogram woman? No, you haven't because they do not exist. You are not average. You are an individual. So the, the blood detective way has always been look at an individual, compare their chemistry to themselves over time and optimizing nutrition in the form of diet, supplements and exercise and healthy lifestyle for that person, making sure that what is chosen works for that person over time. When you have an individualized approach, you are way ahead of the curve because medicine is still practicing like they're in the dark ages based on averages. That is going to get us in trouble. But for what it's worth, practitioners should be working at, looking at these studies because they serve as a baseline. So I'm looking at a study here that shows that vitamin E has what's known as an inhibitory effect upon cells that cause inflammation at the blood vessel lining. That's a good thing. 
Here's another study that showed that vitamin E, remember that useless stuff that the New York Times article says is useless? Vitamin E reversed what's called apoptosis of cardiomyocytes. In other words, vitamin E prevented the death of cardiac cells that was induced by toxins that we're all exposed to. Here's another study that shows that vitamin E, along with an amino acid called carnitine, helps to protect the heart from heart attack and cardiac death, what's called a cardiac infarction. And I can give you the same sorts of examples with folic acid, including the fact that a good amount of the population doesn't have a particular set of enzymes that allow the body to activate folic acid. So if you give someone activated folic acid, you can reduce all sorts of disease risk, including cardiovascular. But keep in mind, folic acid is needed for general DNA repair and all sorts of things. But the original question, can vitamins hurt you? Can folic acid hurt you? Can vitamin E hurt you? The answer is yes. Vitamins and minerals and nutraceuticals and, and herbs, these are powerful powerful tools that we have. They have as much of a propensity and potential for improving our health as they do hurting our health. So I would agree in this sense with the article that when nutrients are used wrong, they can hurt people, or at the very least, people get nothing out of them. I have seen too many individuals, here is the scenario, they'll come into the office and we'll be talking and all of a sudden they, they slam a big bag of vitamins. Sometimes it's a box worth of vitamins on my desk wondering why these nutrients couldn't have helped them. And I said, well, what tests have you done to manage these? Well, who have you seen? And they often mention the types of practitioners who clearly don't have expertise in their area because they haven't even recommended some of the basic things that they need. My point here is this. We want to use the right vitamin, the right natural element for the right person at the right time in the right way, such as the right dose. But for the New York Times article to say in some areas of this write-up that all nutrients are bad, again, is quite insulting for anyone with, with any intelligence. The article also says the following. Often, preliminary studies fuel irrational exuberance about a promising dietary supplement, leading millions of people to buy in to the trend. Well, this is true. This is also true with medications. You'll hear about a miracle cancer drug or a miracle drug for this, that, or the other thing, and you will absolutely hear the same thing for various nutraceuticals or vitamins and minerals. And yes, I have found that people tend to jump to conclusions. I will even go so far as to say that a good number of people that I see, probably certainly more than half, have gotten overly exuberant about certain nutrients, fall into this placebo effect where they feel that there are benefits, but I can't measure any benefits. And then over time, these so-called benefits are really not there because the patient still complains of the health problem for months or years at a time. So it's important that we base the right nutrient on the, on the right individual at the right time, as I'm, I'm saying. But irrational exuberance about nutrients and irrational exuberance about medications that come out in the media, yes, this happens quite a bit. But then they say here, they continue this irrational exuberance, even though more rigorous studies, which have taken many years to complete, almost never find that vitamins prevent disease and in some cases cause harm. Again, almost never find that vitamins prevent disease. Um, so 
here's how I work. <laughs> I, I, I see patients on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. You might say, hey, Dr. Wald's got it great. He's working Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. Well, you know what I'm doing on Monday and uh, Thursdays, and, and I'm sorry, Monday and Fridays, and, and often weekends, as I am sitting in front of my computer, figuring out individual patient protocols, making sure that what I'm giving them is the very best that I can do based on the latest research found at the National Library of Medicine and often the Cochrane database. And I can tell you, unless I am mm, delusional, that there are hundreds and thousands and even millions of studies that point to the positive effects of nutrition upon human health and disease, both treatment and prevention. So almost never find that vitamins prevent disease. You know, this article is not referenced and this article is not a study. It's just a bunch of practitioners in different places, most of them espousing negative comments about nutrients, probably because they just never took them themselves. And why would they never take them themselves? Well, maybe because they went to medical school and the average medical school has less than 30 hours, closer to 23 hours of nutrition education. And I've actually talked to physicians over time and I said, why don't you believe in the use of nutrients? And they'll say, well, because there's no studies. They'll say, well, you use calcium for osteoporosis, right? And they'll say, well, yeah. I'll say, well, you use iron for iron anemia on a routine basis, right? And they would say, well, yes. And I said, uh, and you know that vitamin E is good for heart disease, right? Because most still believe it in spite of the New York Times article. And I'll say, and what about vitamin C for scurvy? And what about antioxidants for all manner of inflammatory arthritis? And I'll say, what about uh, calcium for calcium deficiency resulting from uh, parathyroid surgery? And they go down a long list until basically the practitioner is pale and their mouth just drops open because they realize they don't know what they're talking about. They actually believe. And when I say they, yes, I admit I'm generalizing. But for the most part, physicians believe that if they did not learn something in medical school, it could not be true. So I went to medical school. I graduated medical school. I could probably write on a half a sheet of paper how much nutrition I learned. I went to chiropractic school as well. And I could probably write a few volumes, a few, a few books, long books on nutrition. Then I earned a master's degree at the University of Bridgeport. I actually sat in the classroom and I even taught for that course. And I would throw in a few more volumes of nutrition learned there. Then I got my dietitian license and my certified nutrition specialist license and my certified clinical nutrition license and my two sports nutrition licenses. The point here is that it takes education. And when we have practitioners uh, or researchers in fancy dancy places like, like those in the New York Times article, the public sometimes gives credence to them as if they know anything about the topic in question. You might as well ask your dentist about your gynecological problems if you're a woman. I don't care how well your dentist can pull your teeth. In the gyne area, they're not so good. And so why would we want to ask a medical physician about nutrition when they have no nutrition training? Why would we even care about that, uh, their opinion? So we make the mistake sometimes as human beings to give credit uh, much more credit than is deserved to individuals with intelligence in one area when that intelligence is simply not applied to another area. And again, with this statement in, in, uh, what I, that I just read, they said that people are you know, taking all these nutrients, many never stop. They continue even though more rigorous studies 
which take years to do, show that vitamins do not show benefit. Well, okay. So let's say, for example, there are a thousand studies of nutrients and some show a benefit and some show that they don't work. And then when you do a meta-analysis, which is this fancy-dancy way of compiling all the correctly performed non-biased studies. So this is what medicine sometimes sometimes does. They do this meta-analysis and they might start with a thousand articles. And you know what's very interesting, everyone? Once they rule out the bias and the poorly constructed studies, they might have 300 studies left, which means most of everything we're basing in medicine to be true, that we, we, we literally have people's lives at stake because of information from studies, most studies in medicine are worthless and therefore harmful and or fraudulent or biased. These are not my opinions. This is the, not the opinion of some holistic practitioner. This is a fact known about medical studies. But again, let's push all that aside for now and let's take those 300 good studies. So let's say that those 300 studies do in fact conclude, and this hasn't happened as far as I'm aware, that nutrients are worthless. Well, that means that there were lots of positive studies that showed nutrients were not worthless and lots of negative studies, more negative studies in fact. And when you average them out in the meta-analysis, they say that nutrients do not work. So practitioners, very smart ones, will say, well, nutrients don't work. And why wouldn't they? Because they believe that the meta-analysis and the double-blind, placebo-controlled study model is their god. That is the truth, among all other things and over everything else. But what about the poor people in those studies that didn't prove, that were found all over those studies? So they're lost in the average Remember what we said earlier? You're not average. A meta-analysis will allow all of the positive responders to nutrients, whether it's the effect of nutrients helping cancer or nutrients helping heart disease or nutrients helping those with autoimmune diseases like diabetes and multiple sclerosis and Sjogren's disease and uh, lupus and we can go on and on. But the meta-analysis, because it's an average, has you lose them. And the average practitioner who has no time to read the studies because they're so very busy saving lives uh, and being irresponsible, in, in my opinion, not reading studies, doesn't give a second thought to this. You know, several years ago, I remember when a few vitamin E studies came out, one vitamin E study that concluded that vitamin E was worthless and probably harmful for those with cardiovascular disease. And I remember this study because I had been visiting who was at the time a, a woman who was considered the top oncologist or cancer doctor in Westchester. And she was interested in nutrition. So I sit down in her office and I'm looking around because she hadn't come in yet. And I noticed that on her desk, uh, very close to the window, the light is shining through. She has water in a plastic bottle. And I got to tell you, this plastic bottle looked as if she probably had a dog at home that used it as a toy. And the reason I'm saying that is I could see the plastic and coloring coming off this thing. And it's near the sun. So the sun is heating the plastic molecules. And we know that these plastics are associated with all sorts of cancerous conditions. And I'm thinking, wow, 
This oncologist is completely oblivious to this fact. So what am I going to learn from her today? So she comes in the office. She was nice enough. And she said, before she even said hello to me, she said, you know, this article just came out on vitamin E causing heart disease and making it worse. What do you, what do you think? And I would say, well, I haven't read that particular article, but we know that the majority of studies say quite the opposite. So as you know, it's important for us to look at our individual patients before we draw erroneous conclusions that could affect the lives of people. And she just looked at me and moved on to the next topic. So some doctors are reading this, but they're not critically examining the issues. Back to the article. So the article says, they're talking about Vitamin users start out healthier is the title. And in this uh, part of the article, it says, for Chelsea Bentley, 67, keeping up with the latest nutrition research can be frustrating. She stopped taking calcium, for example, after studies found it doesn't protect against bone fractures. Additional studies suggest that calcium supplements increase the risk of kidney stones and heart disease. Well, guess what? That happens to be true. Yes, people make mistakes. There is bad information out there. For example, calcium alone is not the issue. Most individuals do not have calcium deficiency. The bodies have problems using calcium. So I use a bone meal product for, the, for bone density that has all of the elements that a bone would have because the body knows how to manage something like that. But let's get back to just calcium. It could help you, but she's 67. So anyone who knows anything knows that Every, well, 50% to 60% of individuals over the age of 50 do not have any stomach acid. You need stomach acid to ionize calcium, to turn it on, to make it usable. So it's, so the body can say, hey, that ionized calcium, I need you to go to the bone. But probably poor Chelsea Bentley took calcium because yes, she heard of some study, she misinterpreted it, or better yet, her doctor said take calcium, which is what they do for 67-year-olds. They'll say take 1,000 milligrams of calcium. So that would be wrong. And yes, if you take it wrong, it will not prevent bone fractures. It definitely will increase the risk of kidney stones and heart disease. Not just that. If your body cannot use calcium, your body says, hey, where do I stick this stuff? Remember my calcium show back when? The body will stick that calcium in the breast tissue, increasing risk of breast cancer. It'll stick that calcium in the brain, causing all kinds of brain issues from dementia to who knows what, into the joints, causing arthritis. And yes, the body will try to get rid of that calcium, causing kidney stones. So this is an example of the dangers of vitamins. That's an example of the danger of lack of education because I am sure that this patient was given that calcium by her doctor. But even if she chose it herself, yes, People do need to see qualified individuals. But I do believe the following. I do believe that nutrients, even with their issues, are far, far, far safer. They're exponentially safer than medications. And the benefit, and the benefit of nutrients far outweigh their negative potential. The article continues to talk about how Original studies showed that folic acid could lower homocysteine and researchers knew that homocysteine was related to cardiovascular disease. So they hoped that if someone took folic acid that lowered homocysteine, they would have reduced cardiovascular risk. And the New York Times studies is failing to acknowledge the fact that that has been shown. 
Have there been studies that show, have been shown that it does not work on certain individuals in those studies on average? Yes. Not every study is positive. Then the article goes on to say that also studies of fish oil may also have led researchers astray. When studies of large populations show that people who ate lots of seafood had fewer heart attacks, many assume that the benefits came from omega-3 fats. But rigorous studies have failed to show that fish oil prevent heart attacks. A clinical trial of fish oils and vitamin D, uh, the results that they expect to be released in about a year, might provide clearer answers for this. Look, once again, I am on the National Library of Medicine. And the National Library of Medicine clearly has, if you were just to search fish oil and heart disease, it'll have 200, uh, I'm sorry, 2,694 studies. I'm looking at these articles, some of which I have read that clearly show that polyunsaturated fats from fish oil reduce not just cardiovascular risk, but may reduce cancer risk and could be used for any number of other health problems. Will fish oil help everyone? No. The right amount for the right person at the right time for the right condition. So what this article is doing is trying to manipulate the public by talking about the negatives and not speaking about the potential benefits for individuals. Let me read on. Too much of a good thing. Taking megadoses of vitamins and minerals using amounts that people could never consume through food alone could be even more problematic. There's something uh, appealing about taking a natural product, even if you're taking it in a way that's totally unnatural, says Ms. Price. Early studies, for example, suggested that beta-carotene, a substance found in carrots, might help prevent cancer. In the tiny amounts provided by fruits and vegetables, beta-carotene and similar substances appear to protect the body from a process called oxidation, which damages healthy cells. Then they talk here about two well-designed studies in the 90s found that beta-carotene pills actually increase lung cancer rates. Well, I hope no one out there, including my colleagues, would ever suggest or take beta-carotene alone. Not that I'm putting all of my, my eggs in the beta-carotene causes uh, more lung cancer basket. There are many problems with those studies too. And yes, I can quote positive studies for the use of beta-carotene. I am in favor of the use of beta-carotene that's combined with other plant foods in the form of dehydrated plant products. So I use my detox one through four products, for example, that contain activated elements from plants with natural beta-carotene and all the natural synergists there. When in doubt, just take them as nature would provide them, but yes, in an unnatural form called a concentrated powder. Nothing wrong with that. Listen to this quote. Vitamins are not inert, says Dr. Eric Klein, a prostate cancer expert at the Cleveland Clinic who led the vitamin E study. The vitamins, he says, are biologically active agents. We have to think of them in the same way as drugs. If you take too high a dose of them, they cause side effects. Well, Dr. Eric Klein, congratulations, because what you have done is admitted that you were wrong all those years, and has been medicine, that vitamins are inert. In other words, you are saying that vitamins are not inert. That's exactly what you said, which means they work for something. Therefore, they're not useless because that's what medicine has been claiming, that nutrients are useless. 
Useless, useless, useless. But then again, we have all this money spent on research that's showing positive benefits in tens of thousands of studies, along with some studies that do not show benefit. Among those studies are very poorly designed studies, or bias studies, or wrong conclusions. I mean, folks, I don't know how much you actually know about the problems with study design in medicine and all the other influences that cause these uh, conclusions to uh, be questionable at the very least, but they exist and they're being dealt with very seriously, not just within the medical profession, but by statisticians as well. And in the area of prostate cancer, the amount of study there is incredible. Just this morning and a few days ago, I sent no, no fewer than about 60 studies on the positive benefits of various nutrients for uh, not just prostate not at all, actually, for prostate cancer prevention, but the treatment of prostate cancer. And they were positive. And they were a small sampling because I felt I needed to get these to the patient just to impress upon both of these gentlemen that nutrients in the natural world can be used right to improve their lifespans, to improve the quality of their lives, and even to enhance the effects of chemotherapy and radiation if that's what they choose, not to mention reduce the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation. Nutrients have that potential if used correctly. And then the New York Times article says, Dr. Galati, the physician in Phoenix, said her early experience with recommending supplements to her father taught her to be more cautious. Yeah, I would think so. You need to be more cautious. You're a doctor. You need to read the studies. You need to read all of the studies. And then look at your dad. Did your dad need that vitamin E? Did you check his vitamin E level? Did you check his oxidative stress level? If you had checked his oxidative stress level, you would have known if that nutrient was hurting or helping your father. If you can do that to your father, what are you doing to your patients? So then the article goes on to say that uh, they're waiting for larger studies and that physicians should wait for these studies because, quote, we should be responsible physicians and wait for the data. Well, you should be a responsible physician by reading the data and applying that data to individuals and always choosing the least harmful therapy among all of the therapies and treatments available for not just your dad, but for everyone else. In the few minutes we have left, I'm just going to make some comments on another article by a Jane Brody in 2016 entitled Studies Show Little Benefit in Supplements. But before I read you one or two things, at the end of the article, there's a correction notice dated November 14th, 2016. So it says here, an earlier version of this article misstated that the title of Elizabeth Cantor uh, and the journal in which a study she directed appeared in. Okay, she's an epidemiologist. She's not a biostatistician. So they made that mistake. And the study was published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, not JAMA Internal Medicine. An earlier version of the article also misstated the amount Americans spend on supplements. It's about $100 per year uh, per person, not each month. Now, some of you are saying, I spend a lot more on supplements than that. Yes, and that's what it is. But what I wanted to point out by the, this correction notice is that this correction notice was made after someone had this article had been published in the New York Times. And then they looked back and saw all of these wrong things by the author. So this author misstated the journal in which the study appeared, the type of doctor that uh, she was interviewing. How could that happen? 
Well, let me tell you a little secret. It happens because often the people writing these articles, they don't know anything about nutrition. They are reporters, which means they do research mostly on a computer and over the phone. And they will gather information from individuals like myself or someone else who might not know what they're talking about. And then they write an article and they slap it together. I was asked to do an article on pH just a few months ago. And the person who was writing the article asked me a bunch of questions, which I responded to. When I read the article after it was published, not having a chance to proof it because she never offered me that chance. And I, ne- I just didn't think she would not offer me that, you know, just send me the article back to make sure my quotes were right. She completely screwed up pHs of the saliva to urine and to blood with all these erroneous conclusions. The article was a mess, which is why very few people out there understand what's right about pH. And folks, I've said this before on my pH Lies show. You don't want to be alkaline. Listen to the show. So once again, back to this article, you have individuals writing them that don't know what they're doing, that get their articles in the New York Times that spread this ridiculous information that's not based on anything or is misinterpreted by a person who just doesn't know the topic. I worked for Fox News years back doing nutritional work. I can tell you that's exactly how it works in the newsroom. People will interview you, assume what you're saying is correct, uh, and, and then they go out on the air and they, and they use that information. And this article that I'm referencing, the one entitled Studies Show Little Benefit in Supplements by Jane Brody, who should get a different kind of a job, also said, the passage of the Dietary Supplement and Education Act of 1994 opened the floodgates to an industry that can bring these products to market, meaning nutrients, without submitting any evidence to the Food and Drug Administration that they are safe and effective in people. This This law allows the products to be promoted as supporting the health of various parts of the body if no claim is made that they can prevent treat or cure ailments. Yes, we have to put these disclaimers. But this statement says, yeah, sure, it opened the floodgates for our companies to produce nutritional supplements, thank goodness. Are they going to be, you know, unscrupulous companies as well that put out bad products? Yes, that happens. That's why I make my own products. Practitioners who make their own products that can give you disclosure labels of purity do that And it's very difficult to do that because they need to assure that their clients get clean products. And the fact that supplement companies don't have to bow down in front of the FDA is, I still think, a good thing. The FDA is corrupt. The people on the board of the FDA, it's been estimated something between a third and a half of them are on the board of the drug companies that the drugs are actually approving. And are we all going to pretend that the FDA doesn't make huge mistakes every year in terms of approving drugs that cause serious harm and death to thousands of Americans? For example, uh, Resolin and Vioxx are a high-profile example of drugs that were approved by the FDA, which were later withdrawn from the market for causing unacceptable risks to patients. In the case of Vioxx, a pre-approval study indicated that a group taking that drug had four times the risk of heart attacks when compared to another drug. But the FDA sometimes accepts the manufacturer's arguments for things rather than going by their own evaluations and studies allowing dangerous drugs to hit the market. And another interesting example is the FDA has been very strongly criticizing for permitting the routine use of antibiotics in healthy domestic animals to promote their growth, which is a practice that 
contributes to the evolution of antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria, not just in the cows, but in us. This is horrific. The FDA has also received criticism for its approval of certain coal tar-derived food dyes, such as FDC Yellow 5 and FDC Yellow 6, which are banned in most European countries. And, you know, finally, the following additives were tested in research, what's called Sunset Yellow, which is a reddish-yellow coloring used in many foods and cosmetics, and Tartrazine, which is yellow coloring, and sodium benzoate, which is a preservative. These are just a few examples. Allura Red AC, which is an orange-red food dye. And then eventually, the Food Standard Agency called for a voluntary removal of the colors, most of these colors, and recommended that there should be action to phase them out of foods and drinks in, Euro- in the European Union. And within a specific period of time, they were so problemsome for health. You know, what's amazing to me is that people actually believe the FDA is, is there to protect us. And I don't think it is. What the FDA is actually doing, how they're actually behaving and practicing, and what the public actually thinks is going on with them are two completely different things. Let's just summarize a few last points. First, it's not easy to take care of one's health. I get that. you that I could go on all day about my concerns over the FDA, but why don't we end with a couple of 
practical points. Number one, who should you trust? The first thing I'd say is that you trust yourself and that when you work with a healthcare provider, regardless of the type of healthcare provider, regardless of how qualified he or she seems to be, ask for some evidence to back up what they're suggesting to you. So if you have cancer, for example, prostate cancer, breast cancer, and you are looking for natural options and you want to know how to do things right, ask them for several studies. They'll generally send you abstracts, which are shortened versions of the studies. You read the introduction and you read the conclusions and you can really get the gist of what the studies are saying. If you read them two, three, four times, because they can be very technical, you'll start to get it. So at least you can see that your healthcare provider is willing to give you some evidence to justify their suggestions. If they're not willing to do that, you should really walk. The other thing I would suggest is try to find a healthcare provider that gives you the opportunity to speak with them at no cost for five or 10 or 15 minutes, just so that you can fill them out and to make sure that they're the right fit for you. Ask them the questions you need to know. Does what they say sound reasonable? If they criticize something you've done before, perhaps with another practitioner, ask them why. And finally, yes, do your own homework, but realize that a lot of information on the web is, is wrong. And even if you gather information that's right, you need to understand that your interpretation of the information may not be correct, simply because you may not have the background or education to put it all together and to really interpret what you're reading fully. So for example, you may read something that might suggest that a nutrient is good for you, but you might not understand that it might have to reach such a high level in the blood that you couldn't even reach that level with the form you would buy, let's say in a capsule at the health food store. But hey, who said that health isn't a process? Thank you for joining me. This is Dr. Michael Wald. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. You can reach me at 914-552-1442. You can send me your emails with questions and comments at info at blooddetective.com. Thank you. Show you a statue. Show.